Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 29 to 31. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. The Bible says there, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for our study on making a difference. Thank you for the example that we find in the book of Acts of those who did make a difference in their day and their age. And now we need to make a difference in our day and our age. So I pray that you'd speak to hearts here tonight and help us to see the need, to understand the need. And Father, if we're, if we're not living that spirit-filled life, that you might convict us that we would have that desire and take the necessary steps that we might have a spirit-filled, spirit-led, daily life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started this, and I mentioned Jude 22, where it says, and some have compassion making a difference. And I mentioned that as believers, we are all called upon to make a difference. Now, one preacher noted that we must be different to make a difference, and I wholeheartedly believe that. Being different as believers involves change implementing new behaviors and setting aside hindrances to our new life in Christ. Now, we're going to focus on these people, we said, in the book of Acts, uh, about whom it was said they turned the world upside down in Acts 17 and verse 6. This group was the first century church. They were just common men and women who rallied around an uncommon cause and demonstrated uncommon characteristics that enabled them to make a difference. We're going to look at the lives and the legacies of these early Christians, and we're going to discover one characteristic that enabled them to make an amazing difference. Uh, we're going to need to examine, once we see their lives, examine our own lives and see if I'm living in such a way to make a difference. And tonight our subject is going to be the spirit-filled life makes a difference. Now in our last lesson, we learned about Peter and John and uh, their encounter with the lame man. And we saw how they made a difference in dealing with this lame man. And today we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. Left off. Oddly enough, think about this, and this is a shame, but the temple leaders were not real happy that this man, who was crippled for 40 years, uh, is now walking and leaping and praising God. You'd think they'd be rejoicing with this man and for this man, but uh, they're not. 
they were even less pleased with the message Peter preached right after that about the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to heal. Now, the amazing thing is some things never change, and that's one of them. Many people today don't mind religious talk as long as you don't mention the name Jesus Christ. I've said before, I'll say it again, you hear people oftentimes talk about God and nobody gets real, real upset. But when you start talking about Jesus Christ, well, then the claws come out. And uh, that's kind of the way it was here. These men would let you talk about God all day long. Just don't mention that name. Well, it's interesting that the preaching of the gospel brings that kind of a response. But in Acts chapter 4, as it opens, we find Peter and John have been arrested by the authorities for their preaching. And at the same time, 5,000 people, uh, because of the preaching of Peter in the temple there, at the temple porch, 5,000 people came to know Christ. Well, they got arrested. And the day after their arrest, the high priest and his religious colleague hauled Peter and John before the crowd and raised this question. By what power or by what name have you done this? The source of their power this day, and in the exciting days of ministries that lay ahead for these pioneering Christians, was the person of the Holy Spirit. Peter wasn't the only one who was experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, though. In verse 31, we read how they prayed, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And so we see that Peter and the faithful disciples uh, were filled. and We want to look and see three perspectives on being filled with the Spirit that we can learn. And the first one we can see tonight is the priority of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The priority. As the crowd gathered, Peter was given this great opportunity to preach the gospel. The single most important factor in this critical moment for the early church was not Peter's education. It wasn't Peter's social connections. It wasn't Peter's financial resources. It was the fact that Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what enabled him. That's what allowed him to be able to preach such a powerful message. In chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And he went on then to preach. Now the filling of the Holy Spirit is not needed just for preaching, not just for the work of the apostles that we read about. His presence is necessary in every Christian's life and in all of our circumstances every day and all day long. We need that presence and that power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that enables us to live the life that we're supposed to live as believers. You know, over in Ephesians chapter 5, it's interesting that Paul's writing there about husbands and wives. And, uh, but before he tells husbands and wives how to, how to treat each other, he tells them they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit because that's the only way husbands and wives can treat each other properly. That's the only way a Christian can be all that they're supposed to be in every situation and every circumstance is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we understand being filled is, is not some 
uh, adding more to us. We got all the Holy Spirit we're going to get. It's how much of us he has. We need to yield ourselves to him that we might be the believers that we need to be. Now, first thing we see here is our, the Holy Spirit is our promise. The Holy Spirit is our promise. In John chapter 16, we find Jesus speaking to the disciples in the upper room. And he explained to his disciples that he was going to be going away. But he would send the Holy Spirit to teach and comfort and guide them. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So there's a promise of the Holy Spirit. After his resurrection and before his ascension to heaven, in that time period, about 40 days after his resurrection, that he dealt with the, the uh, disciples, uh, Jesus reminded them of that promise. In fact, Jesus explained the Holy Spirit's ministry was so important, they would need to wait in Jerusalem for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. He said in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so he promises to send the Holy Spirit to them. And then we see the Holy Spirit is our power. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will share his divine power with his children. And they will be empowered for the express purpose of glorifying God. So how do we get empowered? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do we get empowered? Not so we can make a name for ourselves, not so we can be braggadocious, but so that we might glorify God with our abilities and give him the praise. Well, the Holy Spirit enables us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Uh, John 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get real frustrated trying to live the Christian life. They, they say, well, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I just can't seem to get it. Well, the problem is you're trying to do it in your power, and you can't. Nobody will ever live the Christian life in their own power. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be what the Bible tells us we should be and to do what the Bible tells us we should do. We need to, if we desire to be filled with the Spirit, we need to, we need to seek that. Uh, we can't do it in our own strength. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to be kind, to be sweet to our spouses, even when we've had a bad day. His power enables us to refuse sin, though we are very, very, very much tempted sometimes. His power enables us to forgive and restore, though we've been wronged. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do these things. By the way, we talked about uh, love in Sunday school and, and how the Holy Spirit is, brings that gift of love. The only way we can love people as we ought is through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and uh, experience his fullness as the highest and most urgent priority in the Christian life. I'm going to say that again. Experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the highest and most urgent priority in the Christian life. You see, if you'll be a spirit-filled Christian, you're going to walk according to the Spirit, and you're going to please the Lord with your life. And so that is the priority. So we see, number one, the priority of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then number two, the pathway to being filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of believers were filled with the Holy Spirit besides Peter, and we've read about they were all filled, the Bible says. But we need to understand this. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not just for apostles or missionaries or preachers or Sunday school teachers or deacons or anything of that nature. The filling of the Holy Spirit is for every Christian. Somebody said the filling of the Holy Spirit is standing operating procedure uh, was for those first century Christians. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Boy, I can't imagine what it would be like to have a church full of people who were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It would make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Boy, I can't imagine on soul winning night everybody in the church showing up. Well, if everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit, they'd do that. Amen? Can't imagine having a whole church full of people that everybody showed up for Sunday school and everybody showed up for the morning service and everybody showed up for Wednesday night and Sunday night and uh, anytime anything was going on, people were there and uh, people were volunteering to do anything. And every Boy, can you imagine? You see, that's what it's like when you have Holy Spirit-filled people. They're yielded and they want to do what the Lord wants them to do and what he leads them to do. Well, it's for everybody. And if you decide to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you a couple of steps we need to take. And if we practice these steps daily, it'll enable us to experience the same power that those first century Christians experienced, Holy Spirit power. Now, the first thing we need to do if we want Holy Spirit power is to connect with God. Connect with God. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm talking about we need to give priority to spending time with God in prayer and in our Bible study. You know, these, these people watching Peter and John, they noticed something. I want you to hear what they said in chapter 4, verse 13. It says, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's what made the difference in their life. They had been with Jesus. Now, they were able to be with him in his resurrected state. Uh, we don't have that opportunity, but we can be with him through the word of God. And we can get with him every day, and we ought to get with him every day. The Holy Spirit filling results from time spent with him. If you, spent time with, if you don't spend time with him, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, John 15 and verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. So the question is this. Have you carved out a time in your daily schedule to meet with God? 
Do you have an, an appointment with God every day? This is my time for you, Lord. This is, and, and listen, you can do it any time of the day you, you feel right or convenient doing it. I recommend early morning before you start everything. But there ought to be some time in your day that you've set aside where you get alone with God, just you and him. And you spend some time in his word and you spend some time in prayer. A time when you're, you're not rushed, a time when you're not interrupted, a time when you're in quiet and be able to listen and talk with him. You know, if we miss that time with him, we're not going to be filled with the spirit. If we're not filled with the spirit, we're going to miss the major source of wisdom and power and comfort and direction that God wants us to have. Amen. Well, number one, we need to connect with God if we really want to be filled with the Spirit. And number two, we need to confess to God. We need to take care of our sin account. We need to get confessed up. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know, if we really want to be filled with the Spirit, we've got to be clean vessels. And the way we get clean is by confession. We've got to clear the way of obstacles and impediments which prevent the flow of his power and his presence into our lives. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is here heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Listen, if we want the filling of the Holy Spirit, and, and we're going to ask God for the filling of the Holy Spirit, we need to, we need to be clean vessels uh, prepared to receive the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, you cannot be filled with God if you're already filled with self-will, stubborn sin, or a preoccupation with lesser things. Hmm? If you want to be filled with God, you've got to be empty of other things so that he can fill you. Problem is, we fill our lives up with so much other stuff, then there's no room for God to have us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing ye also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Notice it says we're to, we're to jettison, if you will. We're to lay aside the, the weights and the sin that besets us. Why? So we can run this race the right way. We need to deal with the sin in our lives. You know, so often we, we have sin in our lives, and, and I know we, we fundamentalists, we have the list of the biggies. You know, the drinking liquor and smoking cigarettes and doing dope and, and uh, uh, those kind of things. You know, we have this list of the, the big sins. And so when we, when we jettisoned all those and we don't have any more of those, we think we've arrived. Oh, no, 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 no. And sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking, well, uh, yeah, I got this sin, but it's not so bad. Any sin is bad. And any sin hinders us. The sin that does so easily beset us. So number one, we need to be confessed up and we need to be clean vessels. And then 
connect with God, confess to God, and then call on God. Now, if you want your Heavenly Father to fill you or allow you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to ask. Really? Well, yeah. Over in Luke chapter 11, the Bible, Jesus speaking now, and he says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, you're not asking him for the Holy Spirit. You already got him if you're saved. But I believe we need to be praying for God, give me that filling of the Holy Spirit. Help me to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me to be, be the spirit-filled Christian I need to be today. And according to Jesus, if we ask, he's going to help us. And he's going to allow us that privilege. Take a moment each morning and ask God to empty you of self and fill you with his Holy Spirit. Boy, that would be different, wouldn't it? Ask him to replace your fleshly nature, your pride, your anger, your fear, and on and on we could go. All those things that are of the flesh with his divine nature. Ask him to help us to be humble, to be meek, to display faith, and those kind of things. Ask him through the power of the Holy Spirit to direct your words your actions, your reactions, your decisions, your motives, and even your thoughts. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many folks in this room tonight could say, I ask God to help me with the power of the Holy Spirit every day and to help me to live right and do right and think right and that everything I'll say and do would be pleasing to him. We need to ask that. We need to seek that. We need to call on him. We need to die to ourselves and give the Holy Spirit control. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I read this illustration. I think it's a good one. Someone said, just like a flight suit that a pilot jet pilot would wear, or a firefighter's gear. We know all that gear the firefighters put on. is not controlled by itself, but by the power of the body that fills it. Our goal is not to be controlled by our bodies, but by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. He needs to be in control, and we need to seek that. Paul said over in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to call on the Lord and ask him. And then finally, when, you, when you're done confessing your sin and calling upon the Lord and connecting with Him, then you need to continue with Him. How do I do that? Well, now you're going to walk through your day exercising sensitivity to God's leadership 
and following his direction. Say it again. We're going to go through our day exercising sensitivity to God's leadership and following his direction. You know, God does speak to us. Problem is, too many times we're not listening. But see, if you want to be a spirit-filled Christian and you've connected with God and you've confessed to God and you've called upon him and now he's going to enable you and he's going to speak to you through the Holy Spirit, now you need to listen to him. You need to put feet to what you decided and what you want. Walk through each day exercising sensitivity to God's leadership, following his direction. Unfortunately, the spirit-filled life does not come automatically. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if when we got saved, we got filled with the spirit, and uh, he, we walked that way the whole rest of our life? That's not how it happens. And we have to make a conscious effort to live the spirit-filled life. Somebody said this. Sometimes people who spend time with God in the morning are functioning in the flesh by afternoon. Okay, so we start our day. Lord, I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the first couple of hours, we're doing pretty good. But listen, we need to do this all day long. Lord, help me to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then we need to be listening to that still, small voice as he speaks to us and obey him. When he tells you, you know, hey, uh, you're getting full of pride. You better, better, better knock it off. Hmm? When you're, you're getting full of self, you need to back up. When he speaks to us, well... We might have to whisper a prayer during our day and ask for God to give us that wisdom and that power and that enabling. I like what Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That word walk, that has the idea of continuous action. Continuous action. Illustrate. I'm walking. Right? Now I'm not walking anymore. Walking is continuous action. So when it says walk in the Spirit, it means continuous action, continuous in our day, not just in the morning, not just in the evening, not just in the church time, all day, every day, walking in the Spirit continuously. Proverbs 3, 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You know God wants to lead your life? He does. He wants you to give him control of your life, and he wants to lead you in your life, and he wants to lead you into great and mighty things. The problem is, too often we take the, take the reins out of his hand, take them back to ourselves. Hmm? No, 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 we have to let him have his way. And then notice thirdly, the product of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In verses 29 and 30, we read, And now, the Lord, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, 
and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So we see here the Spirit produces a bold witness. It says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And then Acts 4, verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. You know, the boldness that God wants us to exercise with his message does not come naturally. By nature, we're not bold. The fact is, by nature, we're hesitant about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ like we should. We get intimidated, we get shy, we get whatever you want to call it, but all too often we are not the witnesses and testimonies we're supposed to be. Hesitant to share the gospel. So we need to receive that spiritual power, that energy of the Holy Spirit to make us the bold witnesses that Christ wants us to be. We need to be careful because sometimes people attempt boldness, but they do it in their own power. And you know, that's not boldness, that's brashness. Hmm? I, I remember a couple of occasions I went soul winning with somebody. This was way back when I was in Pastor Bedena's church. Went soul winning with somebody. And it, uh, it, when it was their time to talk and they started talking to somebody, it was quite evident uh, it didn't seem to me that they were following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but they were being brash in what they were saying, almost wanting to argue somebody into salvation. Well, listen, friend, we can't argue people into salvation. The Holy Spirit has to convict people and convince people to come to Christ. And so we need to be careful there, but we do need to have a boldness. And the Holy Spirit gives boldness to witness, even when it's not convenient. He gives us that boldness we need to speak up when it's not easy. He allows us to share our faith in the midst of opposition. We cannot win others to Christ and influence the lost without Holy Spirit boldness. It does take boldness to speak up for the Lord. Peer pressure. We don't want to be, you know, judged as the weird one or the odd one or the Bible thumper or anything of that nature. But we need to have a boldness about us. And then notice this. The Spirit produces a steady walk. Oh, my. In verses 18 through 20, chapter 4, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, can you imagine... Peter and John have been called before the authorities and uh, they tell them, listen, we're going to let you go, but you are not to speak anymore in this name of Jesus. Well, the next verse says, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Well, you talk about boldness and you talk about a steady walk, they wouldn't be deterred. They were going to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here they are being threatened, and yet they walk a steady walk 
and, uh, and just say, we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. They weren't going to allow political, religious, or cultural pressure, pressure to cause them to cave in. You know, in America nowadays, there's a lot of pressure put on Christians. Um, political, if you want to call it that. But pressure is put on us by the powers that be. And some of you younger folks don't, don't know a time when it wasn't that way. But it is. And we need to be steadfast. Uh, over, <clears throat> over in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so we need to be that way. How steady is your walk? Amid the shifting ways of philosophies and doctrines, may God enable his children to stand in contrast to these times and maintain a steady walk. I'm concerned about the church, and I use that term uh, for encompassing all evangelicals, if you will, in America. I'm concerned about what's going on in what we call church. I see a lot of people not being steady in their walk. I see far too many churches compromising, compromising with the world, becoming like the world. You know, they have this philosophy. We got to be like them to win them. No, a thousand times no. If you're like them, you have nothing to win them to. Hello? But we see it happening in, in churches tipping the sails, and it's just a sad thing. Can we remain steady with the pressures? And, and you know, I don't mean to be a prophet of doom, but it seems like the future holds even more pressures to be put on us. Who would ever dream that the homosexuals would have the power they have and the influence they have and the laws that have been passed and the, and, uh, the ones that are still coming down? Hmm? I mentioned Sunday about uh, Brother Joe going to Canada and I warned him to be careful what you say because in Canada you're not allowed to preach against homosexuality. And I see that day coming in America unless things change. Hmm? We cry out against abortion and we're ridiculed and mocked, and, but we need to stand steady. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, what was sin 2,000 years ago is still sin today. God has been against homosexuality since the very beginning, and he's still against it. It's still wrong. No matter how many rainbows they put up. By the way, that was so upsetting that my wife had seen it on the news that uh, one of the news channels found a rainbow in the sky and they said, there's God giving his approval to that gay pride parade in Philadelphia. No, God isn't going to approve that because he's against it. And he always will be. And so we need to stand there. It may become very unpopular. It may, it may become dangerous. But we've got to stand there and not change. Can we remain steady? Yes, we can because the Holy Spirit, like an anchor, is keeping us where God wants us to be. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. 
Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then notice this. The Spirit produces a bold witness, and he produces a steady walk, and then he produces a divine work. In verse 30, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. So here we have these Christians, and it hasn't been too long long ago that they saw 3,000 people saved on Pentecost. And then as we read chapter 4, they just saw 5,000 people get saved at the preaching of Peter, and they'd seen this lame man who was lame 40 years, uh, lame from, from birth, now up walking and shouting and carrying on. And so these early Christians were believing God for even greater miracles in the days ahead. How could they ask for such miraculous things? They understood that the Holy Spirit had come. And with the Holy Spirit's presence, anything is possible. So we should learn to trust God for more than we ever trusted him for before. And learn to ask for divine results. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is just as able to work today as he worked then. He's just as powerful today as he was then. You know why we're lacking the power? Because too many Christians are not Holy Spirit-filled Christians. Hmm? Too many Christians, carnal Christians, not interested in the filling of the Holy Spirit. If the results of our ministry can be explained by men's skills and abilities, we're landing far short of what God wants for us. Listen, what we accomplish in ministry can't be accomplished in our abilities. Hmm? Now listen, I got a little bit of education and I try not to let it mess me up. But that's, that's not what's going to do the job. Popularity is not going to do the job. Being good looking or able to sing well or whatever talent you want to, you want to say is not going to do the job. It takes Holy Spirit power and anointing to get the job done. In our, in our soul winning, in running our bus routes and teaching our Sunday school classes and anything we do for the Lord, we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit if we want it to be successful. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're just animated dirt balls. We're just earthen vessels. We're just empty vessels in reality until we get filled with the Spirit. And then we become very powerful vessels. The Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ's promise to believers. The Holy Spirit is our source of power. He came to live within us at that instant of salvation. But on a daily basis, we have to make the choice of whether or not we're going to do what is necessary to be filled and be controlled by him.
He can give us the power to witness. He can give us the power to overcome sin. He can give us the power to make a difference in our world. He can give us the power to love our spouse and raise our children and impact the lives of other people. But we need to connect with him. And we need to walk under his control. Remember, walking is a continuous action. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for the availability of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've give us, given us that opportunity to allow him to have control, to allow him to lead, guide, direct, give us wisdom and, and leadership as we need if we'll just yield to him. Help us to be a people who make up our mind, I want to be a spirit-filled Christian. I want the Holy Spirit to have control of my life. I don't want to live in the power of the flesh. I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know if we, if we have that kind of a church, we're going to have a spirit, Holy Spirit-filled and controlled church, and that's our desire. But it takes each one of us as individuals to say, Lord, fill me and use me. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Help us in this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.